Hello, hello, and welcome to the Salespreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Clay Terrell. I interview sales reps who transition from sales into entrepreneurship via real estate, side hustles, buying or building businesses. Today, I meet up with Chris Horton and learn how to play the long game in sales. Chris has been in sales for seven years. He's an avid outdoorsman, rock climber, and he's a great resource for reps getting into tech sales. Today, we hear about his journey in a rental real estate and how he was able to offset his biggest expense of living through acquiring real estate. Uh, also learn about his perspective on why reps should focus more on honing their, their sales craft and what he's looking to do with the Utah Sales Meetup channel on LinkedIn that he just took over. Chris is a longtime friend, and it's an honor to have him featured here on the show today. Let's get after it. Chris, you're on the Salespreneur Podcast. How you doing, man? Nice. Doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, I'm, I'm super stoked to, to have you on here. You know, uh, I was just thinking about it when I was getting ready for the call, but you were, you know, you were there for me, kind of mentoring me when I first got into tech out of the door-to-door sales arena. And then you've been mentoring me with early stages of, of real estate stuff. And you've helped a ton of people as a resource on LinkedIn. You're now, I mean, you've helped people find jobs and now you're doing the whole Utah sales meetup thing. So uh, it's cool to have someone with your perspective and, and background Thanks, on the man. show. Yeah, um, yeah. I, mean, I remember the, the early days at Workstream when we were working together and you're always the one to like schedule seven, 8 a.m. meetings. Uh, for you know like demos that i had to do and uh you know i'm like well i guess i gotta build pipeline i gotta close deals so i better do these these demos but clay was like notorious for someone on the east coast like doing a 7 a.m demo i'm like ah but now 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 uh yeah it's all uh that was like four years ago so a lot has changed (laughs) that's so funny that that you say that because i still i still try to book myself for 7 a.m and 7 a.m demos (laughs) Uh, with restaurants I'm, like, um, I'm trying to go to the gym i'm trying to you know have a calm morning routine and here i am you know hopping yeah, on this play but yeah man no no work-life balance if, if you're if you're working <laughs> with me no um, i was trying, i was glad for you know it was a good thing in the end at the end yeah it's it's, it's crazy that that was four years ago though because we're like literally in the mid-20s right now which seems bizarre to me because like i feel like yeah. it's still 2020 but yeah, it's weird to say that for sure, but yeah, it's um, been, time goes quick. Anyway, dude, I, I'd love for you know listeners that haven't met you yet or anything like that, if you could just give me a quick intro and then we can dive into your story. Yeah, would love to. Um, yeah, I'm Chris Horton. Uh, I am an account executive, and uh, I've been doing tech sales for uh, exactly seven years, like this week. So. Uh, been in the tech world for a while. I grew up in Lehigh, Utah, where like all of a sudden, all this tech buzz started to happen and tech companies started to to work here. And Utah is an interesting place because um, we're we're pretty close to San Francisco, so we're we're close to Silicon Valley. Most of the folks here, myself included, they go do like a two year service mission that teaches you basically how to do outbound sales. In uh, if you want to summarize that. <laughs> and so I got home and jumped into, jumped into tech and, and, uh, you know, it allowed me to 
do some other cool things with, with real estate and businesses and things like that. And, uh, you know, now still selling, but also doing a lot on the side as well. So excited to talk a little bit about it and reconnect with you, Clay, for sure. Yeah, no, and the sales community has grown here a ton. Uh, you know, myself, I'm, I'm from Idaho. And so there's a lot, I feel like there's a lot of people that have immigrated here because of the, the tech community. I mean, in college, I... I wanted to move down here from Idaho just because there was so much opportunity and it's cool that you've had that opportunity to really grow up with, with that, with that in Lehigh. Cause I remember driving through Lehigh 15 years ago and like, there was nothing here and now, and now yeah. there's so much. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was talking to someone a few days ago and they were like, yeah, I live in Austin, Texas, but I actually have a couple rental properties in Lehigh. And I was like, that is something you never would have heard 10, 15, 20 years ago is somebody investing in like out of state investing in real estate in Lehigh, but it, uh, it's a great place to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lehigh, Lehigh has been a, an amazing spot for us for sure. Um, well, obviously here on the Salespreneur podcast, we love hearing how people got into sales and mm -hmm. how it's empowered them to do stuff on the side. Uh, you're, you're very much like me where you, you're ADD and like you're doing one thing, but you're also doing a million other things. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to hear how you got into sales. Like why of all things, like right after, you know, you said you did this to your service mission. Yeah. Why did you get into the sales? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think like most people that get into sales, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, and so I got home from, I was in Brazil, I got home and my aunt was, we were out at lunch and she said, hey, um, you know, what are you going to do for work? Uh, and she does, she was in at the, at a tech company, uh, they did medical software and she did HR and she said, we're looking for what was called an ADR, account development rep. And she said, it's kind of like a, a um telemarketing, kind of like a call center, like you're just going to call people and set up appointments for the closers to come in and, and close the deals. And I was like, all right, well, you know, I don't really have anything else to do. And then she said, oh, and it pays $18 an hour. And I was like, yeah, I'm sold. I don't care what I have to do. If it's $18 an hour, I'll do it. So yeah, fast forward, you know, probably three or four weeks later, I started as an SDR and um, didn't always know that I wanted to do sales. I actually took a short break from sales, uh, after being an ADR for a little bit and, um, then came back cause I realized it was just what I wanted. And, uh, and yeah, now here I am seven years later. So wait, no college. Uh, I, I was going to school. Um, my life is super, uh, uh, academic you could say so she's super smart she was always the like 4.0 student and uh and so she pushed me pretty hard to go to school and i was going to school um up until uh i got an ae promotion i still did two semesters after i became an ae so i would work from like 6 30 a.m until 4 p.m usually and then i busted over to the university i'd i'd take i think i was doing two or three classes a night and then i'd get home at like nine or 10 p.m. sometimes. And uh, I did that for two semesters after I got promoted to account executive. And then after that, 
you know, I had those two semesters as basically a full year as an AE and did super well. And I was like, I don't really, I think this is the career path that I want to continue down and pursue. So why would I, you know, keep going to school and studying like geography? And I was taking these meteorology classes and stuff. And I was like, why don't I just pour that time into meteorology classes? Wait, what was your major? What was your major if you're studying meteorology? It was just like generals, I think. But that's the thing is I didn't really know. Like I didn't have a, you know, hey, I want to get this degree in marketing so that I can do marketing. Like I knew I wanted to do sales and my university didn't have like a sales program or a sales club or anything like that. So, um, you know, and then I just invested the money and the time that I would have into reading, studying, meeting, you know, sales folks. So sales info yeah it's interesting i feel like uh once you've been in sales so long your your educational background kind of doesn't doesn't matter because like you said you were an ae for you said it was a year and, and that's kind of when you decided to stop being a going yeah. to school or yeah i would like hop off of demos and run to my car because i was late for class and sit in an economics class and you know, it was applicable and it was interesting, but it wasn't like it wouldn't help me with my day job, right? Um, yeah. So, and then now, yeah, you fast forward years later, I, I've never had anybody ask about my college degree, right? So, it does get a little bit making, less relevant. And you're probably making a lot more than anybody that was in that college class with you. Yeah, um, I hope. I, I, I think. There is a bit like there's some caveats to tech sales. Like you you hear about people making a million dollars and things like that, but but for the most part, there is kind of a cap when it comes to being a seller versus an entrepreneur. Like an entrepreneur, you can grow your business to no cap. Um, and companies are smart these days, and they try to figure out ways for you not to break their commission structures and things like that. But you can earn a pretty consistently high income compared to like most of my friends um you know it's generally higher now mm -hmm. those friends might eventually as like their businesses and things like that grow they might eclipse what i make generally um but hopefully by that time i've invested in other things that just you know it make my yearly income irrelevant if that makes sense but let's yeah let's dig more into that because you said and you mentioned it a couple of times where you make great money in sales and you want to push that into other investments or, or things that can make your life easier so that you don't have to hit it uh, or make as much yeah. in sales, essentially. Um, mm -hmm. can you tell me about how you kind of started investing in other areas. Yeah, I think sales, like tech sales or general sales, I don't know, like it's a great way to quickly get to like the 200K mark in income. But if you think about it, like you're not going to be able to retire off of, I mean, you can, you can retire off of 200K at like 65, 70 years old, you know, like you save and save and save every year. And early on, I realized like, I don't want to just be, I don't want to retire when I'm 65. I don't want to be an account executive or a sales manager or even a VP of sales when I'm like 50, you know, I want to be, I want to have more freedom. So uh, when I started getting paid well as an account executive and by paid well, I don't mean like 200 K or, you know, whatever, like I was getting paid like 
probably 90k maybe maybe a little bit more um but my wife and i were living like we were just newlyweds we didn't have you know expenses and whatnot and uh i had a high school teacher so like rewinding way back i had a high school teacher that said like the best thing that you can do as a newlywed couple is buy a duplex rent one side of it and live in the other side and like now i understand that's called house hacking and you can do that you can keep doing it but in my, it just stuck in my head and when we moved in to the apartment that we lived in uh one day i ran into the landlord and and uh and i was like hey like looks like you have multiple properties can you explain that to me at some point like how did you get them you know what was financing like all of that and he was a real estate agent so he was like boom new client like this is awesome and uh he's like yeah like we'll invite you over one day and we'll explain to you what we did and how you guys can do it like anybody can do what we've done it's not rocket science you don't have to have like a rich grandpa or a you know huge loan or anything like that so anyways i was super super intrigued and um so he could just kind of explain the house hacking you know you buy a house you rent the basement or the other side of it or like like you know purposefully try to get multi-unit and then you move to a new house you do the same thing and keep the old one and kind of go from there so he helped us find our first duplex and he said like hey we'll cut your contract if you buy through me you know because he's getting like a six percent commission on it which is way more than we would have paid him in rent and uh so bought that duplex all the while i'm like a newish account executive um bought the duplex and our and it was kind of like a fixer-upper like the plan was to remodel it uh once we got in so we moved in we didn't unpack our boxes because uh my grandparents were were supposed to go on like another service mission and we were going to move into their house and so we didn't unpack the boxes we were waiting for them to leave they actually never left because of some like health complications but we still moved into their basement lived with them for six months and what i would do and my wife like we would go i would go before work at like 6 a.m and i would work on uh like parts of the house like demoing a wall or I did all the electrical and you know like I'd work on it then at 8 30 I'd shower off real quick and head to the office and then after work five o'clock comes around I'd head back to that house and continue on like the demo or I'd run to the dump and we'd work on it till like 9 or 10 p.m and looking back it was like easily the worst six months of our marriage because it was just like She's like doing shiplap in the corner and I'm like running wire through the attic and we're yelling at each other because she wants to do one thing and I want to do another and we have to agree on paint color and lighting and, you know, but we still talk about this. Like we talked about it yesterday. Like we were, we're so glad that we chose the hard route when it came to finding a house and building a little bit of wealth rather than like what most people do, which is they go and they start to get make money at a real job and then they buy like, you know, a starter home or they buy a town home or whatever it is. Like nothing against people who buy town homes. But that duplex literally like launched us into 
whatever we wanted to do next because we had so much equity after we finished remodeling. And then all of a sudden the market started to go crazy. And so now we're looking at a house that's worth like triple what I bought it for. And we bought another one. Same thing, rented the basement while we lived there for a couple years. And then we bought another one. Same thing, rented the basement while I lived there and kind of continued to do that. What, uh, what my landlord first kind of taught us to do. So that helped me do, you know, other things. It helps me feel more calm at my day job because we no longer have housing expenses, like the rents from the basements and other houses that we've kept, those all cover our expenses. So it allows me to be a little bit riskier with what I go do now. Yeah. And actually I recall a a LinkedIn story that was about your first uh, duplex. I think it was something yeah. about how it was your uh, grandma's house. Is yeah, that right? so that same. Can you, can you shed light on that? <clears throat> yeah, the same grandparents that we lived with while we were remodeling. Uh, they're like, "Where about is this house that you guys are working on?" And and I'm, you know, it's like, "Oh, this is the address." And they're like, "I think that's about the same block as the house that we lived in while we were going to college in Provo, Utah." And I was like, oh, do you have any pictures of it or anything? Like, maybe we know the house. Maybe it's in, you know, maybe we've driven past it. And so they pull out these pictures from like 1968 or 69 or something like that. Uh, And maybe even earlier than that. Um, It was in the 60s. And I'm like, that's our house. Like pictures of my grandma (laughs) as a 23-year-old lady standing in front of the house that we're like tearing the exterior off of. And anyways, you know, they knew the owners at the time. The owners bought it in 1938 for uh, $650. My grandparents, 30 years after that, when they moved in, uh, paid, I want to say like $75 for rent. Um, And then we were paying, you know, like, $2,200 $2,200 for our mortgage on it. So anyways, yeah, um, really cool story. Like, I guess my mom knew the owners. They called it, they called them grandpa and grandma Allred. Like it was a really cool family story. And now I just, we own the the duplex and it's like a family heirloom almost. I want to pass it down to my daughter. That's so cool. So wait, how old were you when you bought that place too? Um, I was 23. Okay, so um, kind of like full circle. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, I was about the same age my grandma was when she lived, grandma and grandpa when they lived there. Yeah, um, yeah, I felt, I think everyone was looking at me and they were like, are you sure you you want to do that? Like, are you sure you want to buy a house? Like, is this sales job not like sketchy? Like, what if you get get fired or what if the company goes out of business in two months, right? Like, you're stuck with all this stuff, but like, Man, it was, it was like, it was a rush to just like look at all of those folks that were doubting you or, or like, you know, didn't believe in whatever you were doing or didn't understand it and just keep pursuing it. And, you know, seven, eight years later, the best decision we ever made. So, well, it's, it's crazy too, Chris, because people judge you on, on both sides of it, right? Uh, cause I've had family both times we bought property, uh, be like, are you sure you, you want to do this right now? And then also I'm sure it's easy for people to look at you now and be like, oh, well, Chris, like you kind of just got lucky with the market. Yeah. Like, I mean, you, you bought at a time that was really low and like 
now you have all this equity and like you're kind of just lucky but i in my personal opinion i think that you took action and so like it could have gone the other way i mean yeah it, it could have gone down and you could have lost everything and so yeah. um there's always two sides of the coin um yeah i posted about that not too long ago just like everyone doubts you until you've done it and then everyone says you were lucky right so like mm-hmm. i don't know i mean a, a big part of life sure is being lucky and being in the right place at the right time and i think there's a lot of luck involved with what we did you know but there's a lot of what we did that i'd still recommend people do today you know so it's like mm-hmm. just taking action like you said is huge well we we've, we've had that conversation before uh about luck where mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of luck involved with everything, but you just want to like find those opportunities where luck is involved. And mm-hmm. and uh, there's even another concept I've heard other people talk about on podcasts. It's called asymmetric risk, mm-hmm. where uh, typical risk, like it's a 50-50, right? But asymmetric risk means that there's over a 50% chance that it actually does well. So instead of saying there's a 50% chance it loses, there's mm-hmm. actually maybe like a 20 or a 15% chance. Yeah. So I've kind of come enthralled with that idea recently of mm-hmm. filling your life with asymmetric risk like you did with real estate where yeah, you bought something that you could afford and then you've taken the upside, which is incredible. Yeah, um, yeah it was actually Blake Harbor and I were literally just talking about that today. Like businesses are risky and there's businesses involved with it all. But if you can do... I don't know if you want to say it's like filling in a, like a true need, like that's a part of it. But like, like the story that I could best use to kind of describe that is my grandpa had a metal shop where they made parts for like guns and ski lifts and blenders and stuff like that. And at the, like before he started that, he was teaching at, at BYU, um, like a metals class. And a friend of his was like, I'm starting a business where we make blenders and I need metal parts. Like, can you fabricate some for me? And, uh, it wasn't him sitting down and saying, I want to start a metal shop. I want to fabricate, fabricate parts and be a manufacturer or anything. It was like, there was this need, a friend of his that needed something and would pay a lot for it. And he just filled that need with the knowledge and the skills that he had. And that, you know, that he ended up, it was blend tech that he was making parts for and they blew up. And so, his, his company blew up and he ended up getting other huge accounts and things like that. But, you know, it was just, he, it was risky, but he wasn't risking it all on some stupid idea, if that makes sense. Like he, he had that asymmetrical risk, like you mentioned. Yeah. And I think a lot of that comes down or happens when you are developing a skill and you become really good at it. Mm-hmm. And then you're able to monetize it outside of your W2 so your grandpa was doing something where he was teaching at a university, which is essentially mm-hmm. a W2. And then all of a sudden, like the public market saw need of that and said, Hey, we'll just pay you to do that on your own. Cause you're so good at it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and you know, you and I have both seen plenty of experiences that we could talk about that. But, um, I, I think you have another interesting experience where you've found ways to offset your lifestyle through investments. Um, I know you, you've done some stuff like in the van rental space. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, that's how I think about entrepreneurship and finances is like 
you can offset anything you have or want through business, right? Like I can offset my housing costs through rentals. You have to own a home. Well, you kind of do. You should own a home. Why not yeah. like own multiple homes and those multiple homes pay for your home? So anyways, we, uh, my family's super into rock climbing. I love climbing. I love like going around Utah, going around the, re the West Coast and going to climbing spots and things. And my wife grew up in the Tetons and going there. And um, anyways, we just, we like to travel and all, all that. And so anyways, in uh, 2020, like camper vans blew up and same thing. We were like, we really want a camper van, but they're like six figures and we, we, couldn't we could never justify just having like a ninety thousand dollar thing sitting in our driveway besides the four weeks that we go on our van trips um and so i i heard about on like tiktok or youtube or somewhere uh like a friend of a friend that was doing van rentals where he would buy these vans like a sprinter or a pro master and he'd buy the van and he didn't even have a whole lot of intention of using them but he'd buy vans and then he'd rent them there's a few different apps that you can rent them on and they cover your insurance. They cover like roadside assistance for you so that you as the owner, it's basically Airbnb for vans or RVs or whatever you have. Um, so anyways, we, we bought the van, the first one, and um, I kind of built that one out myself. We threw it up, started renting it. And, uh, you know, I was like, little bit nervous about the the you know like pretty decent chunk of money we had just spent on it um but then all of a sudden like a day or two after posting it on outdoorsy we had like a two thousand dollar uh five night rental or six night rental or something like that um and it covered you know the cost of the van for like three and a half months and uh you know like the hypothetical cost so <clears throat> for me it was like okay, like, let's dig more into this. And every van trip that we wanted to do, like if we wanted to go on the, the week of the, you know, July 4th, if we wanted to go to Wyoming or Idaho or whatever, we would just block it out, you know, and we had to plan around it anyways. And other than that, it was rented and it was rented quite a bit. So we ended up making a ton of money overall on the van. We got another one. We did the same thing. And, uh, you know, it never took me more than five hours a week, if that, to kind of manage everything. Um, cause I had it all hands free. Like I, I had a lock box where the key would get dropped and then I would put the key in it for people to pick up and YouTube videos explaining how to use all the different stuff in the van. So like it was fully automated and hands free. I rarely even met the, the renters. And then we had, we never had a single like issue. No one ever broke anything. No one ever did any Like these people were going on like, you know, bucket list trips to the national parks in Utah. So they didn't want to ruin their experience and trash a van. And granted it was a pretty nice van. So like they saved up their money, money and, and planned and everything. So anyways, it was, it's, it was an awesome experience. Um, and a super cool one telling me like, Hey, you may not make a million dollars, but you can for sure own, this van and, and, you know, multiple vans and build like a small business off of it with very, very little input from your end.
Yeah, and well, and even even that example there is just like an example of you taking advantage of timing, right? Like you took advantage of of real estate at a time where you didn't know if it was good, but like you took a shot on it and it yeah. worked out, and then you know you you find this this camper van, you just test it out and it works. Uh, and I'm sure you've had a lot of experiences where it doesn't work out, but at least you're out there trying things when when yeah. other people are sitting at the sidelines, you know, cause you and I are both like 28, 29 years old. And we have friends that are the same age that just haven't done anything, Yeah, you know? And so and they're was, still at zero. Now that, that type of thing seems so easy, if that makes sense. Like I've done those things and I've taken those risks. So doing something like that again is a no brainer, right? Cause I'm not worried about it working or not. Like, and the crazy thing is in 2023, the van still rented like crazy. Like it was still three, you know, two years after COVID and it was renting almost every weekend. So, um, but yeah, now like those big risky moves just feel simple as long as you kind of follow the right, the right tactics. Yeah. Well, even like an, an interesting spin on the conversation we're having right now, uh, you're doing a lot of these entrepreneurial things on the side and obviously you have a W2 you've done really well at sales, which is exciting. Um, and, but I also know there's this trend of people saying like, Hey, like I want to get out of my W2 or, or whatever. I know you have a contrarian view on that. Um, and you actually posted about it a couple of weeks ago. You said something that I thought was funny. You said people these days will do anything to make money besides their job. And yeah. I'm curious if you could kind of tie that in with, your view on entrepreneurship and, and sales. Yeah. Yeah. I think a big thing that I live by is the, the way you do one thing is the way you do everything in my opinion. And so if you're like, you know, half effort in your sales job, like you're probably going to be half effort in your business. And so like, I just see a lot of people trying to dodge work and you know, I think what people don't realize is like, even as an entrepreneur, even as a solopreneur or whatever it is, like there's so much work involved. Granted, it's different type of work. Um, I mentioned like I was with Blake Harbor today. He had me cup move a couple vending machines. Blake was our VP of sales. He's like a, he was in tech for 10 years. He was a VP level, like leading, you know, kind of high stakes meetings and things like that, wearing white collar every day. And, uh, and now he recruits me to move two vending machines with him on a Friday afternoon. And that was like the hardest thing I've done all week was moving those vending machines and Blake's doing it, you know, <laughs> most every day. So like, anyways, it's, it's a different type of business, a uh, different type of work. But I think if Blake hadn't already been working hard and killing it in like what he did as a W2, he probably wouldn't be doing very well as a, an entrepreneur either. So anyways, I think there are ways to like work not less, but differently in, in more satisfying ways. Um, but dodging work is like just never really the answer in my opinion. I think it'll come back to bite you pretty hard. Yeah. Well, we're also in an interesting time. It has been hard for, uh, so many of us in sales because, uh, you know, we've had tons of layoffs. Quotas have been harder to hit than ever. Um, you've had to find 
uh, different ways to find meaning at work. And so sometimes yeah. like, the most natural path is just to be like, well, I want to give up on my job and just go try and start a business. But like people don't realize that even though sales is hard, like starting a business is way harder, mm-hmm. especially if you don't have that natural path. Um, kind of like your, you said you were with your grandpa, like somebody recruited him to go do that metal thing. It's like sometimes those opportunities just come to you at the right time. And yeah. so trying to force it just because you're pissed off at your job is yeah. not always the best thing. I agree. I hear um, a lot of people say like working in W2 makes me, all it makes me want to do is quit that W2. And to me, it's like all your, all your, your entrepreneurial efforts are going to want you to do, they're going to make you want to go get a W2 or things are set up for you, you know, like, so anyways, I think uh, it's important to take it all with a grain of salt, like not read too deeply into like what I say or what, what some, you know, entrepreneur, I think we look at a lot of these people that have made it as entrepreneurs, like you don't see the early days of when they were losing 60 K a month and like, you know, like, and things were tough. So anyways, um, yeah, just understanding like what actually went into all of that success. Yeah, no, it's, it's crazy. In fact, well, I, I, I was just talking to somebody that was going to be on the podcast in a couple of weeks who started a business or he bought one and then mm-hmm. it ended up failing. And he, I just remember him telling me about how much of a blessing it is now, like going back to, to get a W2 because he's like, man, the, the anxiety and like the sleepless nights behind this business failing was so intense that like yeah. the thought of just waking up and like having a salary that's going to hit my bank account every <laughs> month is like unreal. So yeah. I think that we don't see that side of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have a friend, same thing. Um, Aaron Wilkinson, your friends with him as well. Like he, he had a, he bought a like trophy and t- t-shirt mm-hmm. like embroidering and screen printing. He bought uh, that a business from his dad after doing corporate accounting and same thing. Now he's a, an account executive at a publicly traded company and he just invests all of the money he makes. And he's like, it's so awesome because I just have to do what they tell me to do and I make this money and I can invest it. And like, I don't have to wonder if my employees are going to starve this month, you know? So yeah, definitely a lot of value in it. Now I don't, none of this should say people shouldn't start businesses. I just think that you have to have the right mindset mindset around it all. Oh, for sure. Um, Chris, look with the last couple of minutes we have left, I know that you just barely took over the Utah sales meetup thing on linkedin which i think is super dope uh thanks man i'm super curious like how like how you took it over maybe if you could tell us kind of like what's going on over there yeah so you because it's called utah sales meetup um on linkedin uh we have a slack group as well where we it's a little bit more active than the the actual linkedin just because it's like chatter um but utah sales meetup was started by junior Larte and a few other people uh, at a company called Pickle, um, which isn't quite around anymore, but um, they started it. They did a few really cool events, uh, had some great speakers, built the group up to a few hundred members. And then Junior actually moved to Virginia and Pickle kind of, uh, I don't know what the word would be, Pickle's done. So 
anyways, there, it was just sitting there forever. And in November, about two months ago, I reached out to Junior and I was like, hey, you're in Virginia. I'm here in Utah. I love Utah. I love the people here. I, I want to network as much as possible. Uh, can I take the group over from you and just try to, you know, make something of it? And, uh, and he's like, oh, I think I'm going to keep it, try and, you know, work it out or whatever. And then fast forward two months to like three weeks ago, uh, he texted me one morning and he just said, hey, I want to hand over the Utah sales group, sales meet up to you completely. Uh, do you want that? And I said, totally, I do. And anyways, gave me all the rights and everything. And uh, yeah, I, I don't want it to be too much where it like takes up anybody's life or time more than it should, including my own. Um, but what I want it to be is a strong community where if you're looking for advice or relationships or someone to go to lunch with or a new job, like that's your first place that you go if you're here in Utah. Um, you know, Utah has, they have Silicon Slopes, which has turned into like this huge conference every year. We have, you know, th everyone has their own little company that they're at and they're, they're posse within those companies. But the hard part about a network is you go to a company and you work there for five years, you build your friendships there and your relationships. You go to another company, you're there for a few years, you build your friendships and your relationships. And it takes 10 years to build a decent network within those companies. So what I want to do is I want to just fast forward that for anybody that wants it. If you want to build a strong network in six months, then you can build a network of hundreds of people in Utah that can help you get jobs, that can help you level up your skills without you having to jump from company to company and, you know, spend all those years building that network. Yeah, no, I mean, we even had an example because I went to your micro meetup just for like lunch uh, yesterday and we had uh, a, new, a brand new SDR at a company here in Lehigh and he moved here from out of state and yeah. all of a sudden he got access to you, me, uh, a couple other really senior salespeople in the yeah. Valley and He's just a junior SDR, so it's yep. it's cool to see even small stuff like that taking off. Yeah. Um, you know, you've, you've been in just, the tech community for seven years, so the the conversations that we were all having probably didn't make a ton of sense because he's like three days into to an SDR role, but like that would that that alone I think levels up somebody pretty quickly. Um, like just having those relationships, he can hit me up you Blake, like he can hit any of the folks that were at that lunch and we'll connect him with people that we know with jobs that are open, like whatever he needs, he kind of has that instantly now. Um, so yeah, those types of things, just kind of networking lunches. We have an event on January 24th at four o'clock at the kiln building where we're, uh, we've got a panel of three su super senior sales leaders that are going to talk about how to build pipeline and, we're gonna have swag and it's gonna be awesome. Um, so those sorts of things, like I said, I don't want it to be something that like takes up your day and your week. I just want it to be something that is there, you know, when people want it and need it. Yeah, no, and I love that you guys are doing it at 4 p.m. because I have a hard time skipping lunch demos to go to a networking event. It's like, nah, dude, I'd rather make a couple hundred bucks closing a deal than going to this. But yeah, four o'clock on a Thursday is a great time. Um, are you guys always going to be having like senior sales leaders or what's the intent of those? those meetups? <clears throat> no, um, I want to, I want to be as like, uh, 
you know, just keep it as interesting as possible. So I think it would be really cool to hear from like the top SDRs or the top, you know, AEs or like an enterprise rep talking to an SMB rep or like, Hmm. just like as creative as we can make it. Um, There's a few cool companies in here, like, like sales dojo. Um, Oh, sure. Like they, like I was talking with him the other day and he was like, we should have like a cold call, like competition, like best elevator pitch wins or like, so anyways, who knows, you know, what it all evolves into, but I think I want to like keep it interesting instead of just like, oh, here's this VP that's just going to tell you to like chase down those deals. Like that's great. And I do think there's going to be a ton of value, but it's not going to be that every single month, you know, it's going to, going to be very, uh, very holistic of like every different part of the revenue org as well. That's great. Yeah. Something, something for uh beginner people that are in the trenches every single day, yeah. which I feel like we need, if, if I was just moving here all over again, starting over, I feel like that would be a great community to be community to be a part of. So, Hopefully. um, yeah, thanks for letting me plug that. Yeah, man. And thanks for thanks for coming on the podcast. I think, you know, you have such a cool story of being able to do this while you're in your in your sales job and uh the reasons why you're doing it. You've done it at a really young age and uh hopefully a lot of people can find value in, in this story. I know that I have. So thanks, um, man. thanks for being on po- uh on the podcast, Chris, and we'll catch you later. Appreciate it, Clay. Thanks. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Chris Horton. To be the first to hear about upcoming podcast releases, please subscribe to the email newsletter in the show notes. We'll see you next time.